Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can learn more about the vision or give financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the Watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Man, what an incredible day. Can we just take a moment, just praise the Lord together for all He's done. It's, uh, it's an incredible honor to get to, to serve and uh, pastor this church. And uh, I want to take just a quick moment and say thank you to uh, both Tevin and Haley and the team, the staff, for putting that together, uh, all the, the pastor appreciation stuff. But I have to ask this real quick. Um, if you leave today and you walk by that station or you're sitting here right now thinking, hey, I want to I say something nice or express gratitude, can I ask you to defer that to one of our staff, to one of our leaders at the church? Um, show them your appreciation. Show them your gratitude. Uh, I've, I've felt appreciated already today, uh, but I know that um, I am only as strong as the team that God has assembled around me. And, and we have an incredible staff at Awaken Church. Amen? Can we give them a round of applause real quick? Studs. All of them. Females too. And uh, man, I just, I think about um, the, the ministry that takes place, the scope of ministry that takes place uh, at, at Awaken. And while preaching is an aspect of that, there's so much more that goes into church. Uh, and church is much more than a sermon. And when I think about the, the leadership that it takes to, to lead all the small groups, lead all the teams, lead the youth ministry, lead the worship ministry, lead the ladies ministry, lead the social media ministry, lead the, you name it, it takes an incredible squad. And God has assembled a great team here. And uh, I just I just am the, the face of that in a lot of ways. So we got prettier faces on staff that could represent, but I'm the one up here today. So uh, I want to thank you for making uh, this church um, one that is that is a pleasure to pastor most days. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I want to remind you today that um, if it weren't for our incredible team, if it weren't for uh, my wife, um, and most of all, if it weren't for the sustaining just grace of Jesus, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. And, and I hope at the, end of, at the end of it all, you look at, at me and go, you know what, all Brandon is a testimony to the grace of God uh, because it's just the life of, of what happens when God gets a hold of somebody and they surrender their full life to Jesus. That's all I am. And, and I'm no different than you. I don't have a platform bigger than you. Uh, and what God calls us all to is just complete surrender. So it really is the aim of who we're called to be. So thank you so much uh, for what you have said, what you're going to say. And uh, I want to jump into the word together. Can we do that? I, um, I threw an audible at our early service because I had a sermon prepared today on politics. I just lost some of y'all. Some of y'all are like, I'm out. Uh, eight years, eight years, almost eight years as pastor of Awaken. And uh, I've, I've never preached a, a message specifically on politics. I've never preached, a, I've, I've always felt like the closer the American flag gets to the cross of Jesus, the more anxiety I get. I get nervous about that because we don't, um, we don't own the real estate on Christianity uh, as a country. And as I've looked around the last couple of months, specifically weeks, then even days, 
it is very clear that even in the church and amongst the church, there is so much dissension, so much divide, uh, and so much um, frustration. And so I, I put together a message called The Poles, The Prayer, and The Purpose of the Church. And I was going to preach it today. In fact, there it is. There's the title of the sermon. Got all the notes lined up, got all the scripture lined up, got all my bullet points right here on my iPad. Uh, but I'm not going to preach it today. I'm going to preach it next Sunday. Uh, the way it was scheduled, I had Tevin Sims, our group's pastor, scheduled to preach next week. And I began to think, you know what, to put him up here the Sunday before Tuesday, election day, uh, that's like a sacrifice, dog. I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> uh, and, but, but I also, I also, I came in this morning and I was, I was out, I was sitting over here worshiping during the, the band run through and uh, that song, God of Revival, I just began to think to myself, you know, the thing that, that we really need, what revival, where revival really starts, oftentimes that's a, a movement, an awakening, it's a coming back to life, something takes greater significance, um, and, and oftentimes we count on a revival to happen before we actually jump on board, when really revival is an individual event first, and, and it's a re- realization that I'm a part of something bigger than myself, that I worship somebody that's not named me, uh, or a church, or a political party, but I actually worship somebody named Jesus. And he's over all, and he's in all, and he's through all. And, and what, I, what I was sitting here realizing this morning was this understanding that what we really have, what we're really dealing with as a, as a country and as a people, is this issue with authority. It's an issue with authority. And I want to remind us today that, that we have an authority in our life whose name is Jesus. And yes, he is our savior, but he's also our Lord. Because I get concerned, and I think where, where, my, my, where I'm burdened right now for the church, specifically the church in America, is that I believe we have a lot of buildings filled with people who have recognized Jesus as their savior, but don't really acknowledge them or acknowledge him as their Lord. Saying, you know, God, I'm so thankful that you saved me from my sins so that I can be with you in heaven. Forgetting the fact that Jesus was very specific that he's also our Lord. And you really can't have one without the other. So today I want to remind us that while we live in a democracy, as the people of God, we are under a theocracy. We have a king whose name is Jesus. And I want to talk about him today. Can I do that? Because there's some protections being in his kingdom. And uh, this isn't completely winging it this morning. You will see no notes on the screen. So production people, I apologize. I didn't prep you at all. Uh, I called an audible at about 8.15 this morning. So uh, any notes that I have will be on the fly. I won't be using my iPad, um, but we're going to go at it, okay? Because I want to talk about a kingdom and the reality that when we understand whose kingdom it is and who the king is, things start to change in how we live, how we act, how we operate, what we believe. Right? So if you got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. The whole story of Scripture is really God establishing a kingdom, looking for somebody to run it, and it actually ends with Jesus coming uh, and establishing himself as king. Now, as I talk about authority, I want you to think about uh, the greatest authority you ever had in your life or the most authoritative figure you ever had in your life, maybe have in your life. It could be a boss. It could be a coach. It might be your parents, young people. Uh, It might be your spouse. If you're in the room, that's okay too. 
the greatest authority you've ever had. When I think about an authoritative, authoritative figure in my life, I think about my mother. Uh, my parents divorced when I was uh, quite young. And so I was raised by a single mom. Praise God, she remarried uh, when I was 10. I've got an incredible uh, stepfather in Brian. But uh, my mom early on was the provider. She was the disciplinarian. Lord help me. She was the nurturer. Uh, and, and my mom was tough. And if you're a single mom, you, you got to be tough. And uh, her, her name is Beth. And my, my brother and I, we had a nickname for her uh, called Beateth. <laughs> because she would, she had a paddle. She still got it. That paddle, man, that thing was evil. Back then, she didn't love Jesus as much. And uh, whereas now, you know, she, she loves the Lord now. She's super generous, one of the sweetest ladies you'll ever meet. But back then, it was tough. And uh, I remember when I was 16 years old, um, I was at high school, Somerville High School, and after every Friday night, I would go out. And I had a ball game, and I'd go out, and had a curfew, and I would miss curfew from time to time, like most teenagers do. I thought most normal teenagers did. And, and my thought process would go like this. If I had to be home at 11.30, and it was 11.20, and it was going to take me 15 to get home, my mind was like, you know what? I already blew it. So what's the use in trying to rush home, right? And, and I'd done that one too many times. And this one particular night, I busted curfew. I was hanging out with my buddy, Bo. And, and I'd drive home. And I'm late. It's like 1 a.m. And I get to the house, pull in the driveway, and, and hit my garage door opener. And the garage doors aren't coming up. And I'm like, oh, this is weird. You know, but batteries, that's cool. Got out. Well, my garage had this like side door, you know, like a, a regular door you could open. And it was locked. Never happened. So no worries. I went out to the front door because we always stashed a key, right? We had a key that was hidden there. And so I went to find the hidden key. And I lift up. I'm like, oh, the key's gone. We got a predicament now because it's 1 a.m. I can't get inside. All this isn't coincidence. And I realized I've been locked out of my own house. Now, you got a couple options in that in that moment, right? Option A, ring the doorbell. Bad idea. Option B, break in your own house, right? Another bad idea. So I was like, ah, I'm just going to leave. Like I, so I went and stayed at, at my, my friend Bo's house, spent the night uh, contemplating what is going to happen the next day. And uh, when it ended up happening, I had a conversation with, with my mom. And in that conversation, she revealed to me stuff that uh, you probably had a similar conversation or have had one if you got teenagers. And it went something like this, Brandon, I know you want to do what you want to do, but this is my house. And if you live in my house, you got to follow my rules. Is this ringing a bell with anybody? Or I was the only rebellious kid in the house. Okay. So it's, this is my house. And if you're in my house, there's some rules in this house, right? And there was authority established on that day. I mean, trust me, I was 16. I was like, you know what? I'll just move out, get my own apartment and try to figure out a part-time job and all those dumb things you think about when you're 16. And I realized that ain't going to work uh, and, and that I needed to be in this house. I needed to be under her provision and care and protection. And here's why I tell you that story. God has a house and it's called his kingdom. It's not a church. It's called his kingdom, and the kingdom has some rules. And if we're going to live in his kingdom as the people of God, we have to live according to his rules. And, and we, don't get, we don't get the opportunity or we don't get to capitalize on, well, I, I, yeah, I know you said that, Jesus, but I think, or I know your word says do this, but you don't understand the culture we live in. 
Yeah, I I know it says live according to these values, but man, you don't know these people. Like if you knew these people, maybe you would back off. We don't don't get to alter that. What we got to understand is there's a kingdom, there's a king, and it's not us. Now, the whole story of scripture, and this is going to be a quick summary of the Bible. God decides I'm going to create heaven and earth, and I'm going to put man on the earth to rule and reign. I'm going to give him dominion over the earth. And so God establishes the earth. You see the account in Genesis, Genesis chapter one and two. And then he creates Adam, puts Adam in the garden to rule and reign over the kingdom. Tells him to name the animals, which is amazing. Tells him to work the land. Sees Adam's lonely, gives him a wife and Eve. And God says this, hey, you're, you're going to rule and reign over the kingdom, but there's something that you must not do. Don't eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat of that tree, right, that, then you'll die. Well, Adam and Eve make the decision. You know what? It's, it's not enough just to, to run the kingdom. They want to be king. And so they decide, you know, we're going to eat the apple. We're going to rebel against what God said because we want to be king. We don't, we don't want to live under the king. We want to be king ourselves. And so sin enters the world and everything falls apart. They're cast out of the garden, right? Like then God establishes judges to rule over the people and You see sinful judges ruling over sinful people. That doesn't work. They couldn't keep the law. Then the people go, look, we want a king. We see all these other countries with kings. So uh, God, give us a king. So God allows them to have a king. Starts with King Saul. King Saul rules over the people, ends up incredibly evil himself. Then King David rises to power. David is this beloved king, a king after God's own heart. Gives the king to his son Solomon and Solomon takes the empire to to heights unseen before, incredibly blessed, incredibly powerful, incredibly peaceful, until Solomon uh, starts to worship other gods. And then God takes his hand off the kingdom, and there's silence for 400 years. In fact, the Old Testament ends with just this mute from God, and people wondering, has he abandoned us? Again, God's looking for somebody to rule and reign over the kingdom. Then the New Testament comes. And in Mark chapter one, what we find is that there's this man named John the Baptist who was Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist was this crazy guy, like lived in the woods, wore animal skins, like ate locusts, drank honey. He was, he was a wild man. And he would come through the, the city streets and say, hey, there's one that is coming behind me. And he's the lamb of God. He's going to take away the sins of the world. Yes, I'm baptizing you for the repentance of your sins. But there's one coming that's greater than me. And his name's Jesus. And, and he proclaimed that Jesus was coming, and as he came, he would be bringing a kingdom with him. Now, people thought, well, that's going to be an earthly kingdom. we got to remember, Jesus lived in a time where he had the Roman Empire, which was incredibly powerful and oppressed the Jewish people, and you had Judaism, which was a system of religious law, and it oppressed its own people by abusing the law that was given to them by Moses. Now, you had these two systems, and so the people thought, well, there's this new kingdom coming, The Messiah is going to bring it. Jesus is going to bring it. We're going to rule and reign here on earth. Well, then Jesus shows up. And in Mark chapter one, you can find it. Mark chapter one, verse 14. We're told Jesus came into Galilee. Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15. Jesus comes into Galilee, walking by the Sea of Galilee. And this is what he was proclaiming. Jesus proclaimed the good news. Proclaim means proclamation, means to shout it. Jesus was shouting in the streets, shouting by the Sea of Galilee. Here's the good news. You ready for it? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom is no longer coming. The kingdom is here. 
And the kingdom is here because the king is here. Jesus declared, I am king. That was the offense to people. If you're here today thinking, well, Jesus was killed because uh, he performed miracles and it was offensive to the religious leaders or because Jesus uh, touched lepers and healed them and that was offensive to the religious leaders. If you think that, well, they killed Jesus because he was creating this uprising and a rebellion, that's all wrong. The reason Jesus was killed because he claimed to be a king. In fact, Jesus, when he was put on trial, Pontius Pilate said, hey, they say you're a king. Is that true? And Jesus says, what you've, what you've said is true, but my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, I've, I've got dominion and I've got a kingdom and I'm in charge, but it's not of this world. When Jesus was nailed to a cross, there was a sign put above his head. Hail, king of the Jews. They were mocking him and mocking the fact that he called himself a king. See, the problem in the New Testament, and I believe the problem with our culture today is this. And again, I know this isn't popular, but this is reality. The problem back then and the problem even now is not the fact that Jesus wasn't a king or isn't a king. It's just we want a different king. And we want a king to be us. We want to worship what we want to worship. We want to be in charge of what we want to be in charge of. We don't want somebody telling us where to go or what to do or how to live. We live in a democracy where every single one of us has a voice. We have a vote. We have a preference. We have an opinion. And if you don't like it, I can block you, mute you, cancel you, get you out of my life. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's a theocracy where he says, I'm king. And if you're going to be in this kingdom, these are the rules of the kingdom. Now, here's why it's good news for us. This, this is why it's, it's really good news. If you're taking notes, this would be a good place to start. The first one is this. When you acknowledge Jesus as your king, like he, he's your absolute authority, which, by the way, in America, we don't know, we don't know, we don't understand kingdoms, right? We don't, we don't understand the reality that, um, that in the Middle East or in history past, by the way, I mean, democracy is a 400-year experiment in humanity. Can we agree with that? Like, we're, there's some good to it. There's some struggles with it. Maybe it'll last. We don't really know. But a kingdom is like, imagine a king on his throne. Everybody does what he says. He, he owns a domain. Let's say it's a city or a country. There's a wall around it, and he's in charge of it. Immediately, some of y'all are like, I'm offended. I don't want to be in there. Yo, that's what Christianity is, okay? Just Christianity is you stepping inside the walls going, uh, there's boundaries. There's a call to live a certain way. It's called sanctified, holy, set apart. And there's a king that sets the rules of what that looks like. And so when you step into that kingdom, which means you're a follower of Jesus, Shaq coming out of the water says, look, I've given my life to Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. He sets the example. We go, I'm following that king. That's, that's what absolute authority looks like. That's what kingship looks like. The good news about that is really threefold, and I'm going to touch on them is this. The first is this, that when you acknowledge Jesus as your king, you're acknowledging the fact that he's over you. Right? Like an authority has a covering that's provided for us. And in, in Christian worlds or, or seminary, Bible college, it's called sovereignty. The sovereignty of God, that God is over all things, in all things, and through all things. In other words, nothing happens that he's not aware of and that he's not in control of. That is really good news. It means that in our current culture, right, like we're dealing with, with COVID, causing a lot of anxiety, whether you wear a mask, don't wear a mask, we got an election, whether you vote red or blue or anything in between, right? There's anxiety about your finances. 
If, if, if Biden gets elected, stock market will do this. If Trump gets elected, stock market will do this. If we get all these questions, right? And it causes all this anxiety and all this fear. And we, we're worried and we're paranoid. Listen, the beauty of the sovereignty of God is this. No matter what happens in our culture, our little dot in time in humanity, God's in control of it all. It takes the worry and, and the fear away. But I found, and at least in my own life, and I own some of this, where fear and anxiety creeps in is when I step in the seat called the throne and think I'm king. So everything rides on my decisions. Man, if I make a wrong decision, what's going to happen? Listen, Brandon, you're not in control. God's in control. It's his world. He's on the throne. It means no matter what life throws at you, you don't have to be as, as, as tight, tightened up about it and worried about it, concerned about it. doesn't mean there's not concerns or worries of this world. But it means that when the worries come or the anxieties come, you recognize that you worship and serve someone who's over all of that. That's what an authority is. It's like a parent. I've got four kids. My job, one of my main jobs as a father is to provide a covering for my family. I'm an authority in our house. Boys, I'm reminding y'all, I'm in charge, okay? Part of that protection of being over my kids is is to protect them and cover them. It means there's going to be times where I make decisions they may not agree with. But again, you got to remember, they're not the ones in charge. I am. And they're not the ones with the authority and the responsibility. I am. It means there may be times I make decisions that are unpopular with them. But I'm not worried about a popularity contest. Because my job is to cover them and protect them. Same is true with Jesus. Listen, Jesus isn't out to try to win homecoming king. Y'all understand that, right? He's not here for a popularity contest. He's in charge. He's on his throne. And you acknowledge him or you don't. But if you acknowledge him, you do what he said to do. That's, that's just facts. And I know this may seem harsh. I see some Citadel cadets up there. That's Citadel, right? I see you boys in uniform, right? And I'm jealous every time they show up in uniform. I went to College of Charleston. Y'all would show up all in your shiny brass. I'm like, go back to your fort, right? It intimidated me. But y'all know something about authority. You make your bed the wrong way, what happens? You go back and make it a different way. You do, you do what your authority says to do. Listen, we don't like that. We want to make our own choices, make our own decisions, be independent. But y'all, we're in a kingdom. As the people of God, we exist. He's in charge and he's over us. And so the things that he tells us to do, which we find in this book, they're not optional up for grabs. Even if our opinions are different, even if, if it offends people that are close to us. My son asked me on Monday, Ashley and I went to vote and we were at the Coliseum. And this is how crazy it's gotten, by the way. We're standing in line. I'm, I'm a good eight feet behind the person in front of me and, and eight feet in front of the people behind me. And it was hot. I didn't dress right. It was like 80 degrees. I thought it was fall in Charleston. What am I thinking? I'm in a sweatshirt. And so I'm having a hard time breathing, literally. So I just pull my mask down, you know, catch a breather. She's like, baby, you better pull that thing up. I'm like, what's the big deal? I'm outside. It's cool, right? She's like, everybody's gonna know who you vote for. I'm like, come on, girl. You know how right she is? It's like we've gotten to a place where there's so many opinions and criticisms and preferences. And some of y'all right now like, who is he voting for? Listen, can I just be direct? I don't really care for either candidate. And at some point, you got to go, look, I look at what God's word says and the values and the policies I'm voting on, and I get informed, and I let God's word be my guide, not some commercial. We're sitting in our house two weeks ago, and, and there's a commercial that shows up. Ashley, or Brooke Brinkley, Brinkley's my 10-year-old. She's sitting in the middle living room. And she goes, I hate Joe Cunningham. <laughs> She's over there right now, dressed up as a nerd for Halloween. I said, baby, you don't know Joe. You hadn't met Joe. What's wrong with Joe? She said, slick Joe's a liar. 
it crazy how easily influenced we can be. And I just think to myself, it's, it's, it's crazy as the people of God, like what guides our decisions? Who do we listen to? What are our influence? Y'all let this word, listen, let this word be your influence. Let this word be your guide. It really does speak to the issues that we're dealing with. Real issues, right? Don't be blinded by some tradition or some party or by popular opinion. Let God's word be the guide on, on where you vote and how you vote. But, but most definitely get out and vote, okay? Jesus is a king, and as a king, he's over us. Second to that, that means he owns us. It means he owns us. Imagine the king sitting on his throne. He's got walls around his city. Guess what? Everything inside that city he owns. It's all his at any given time. He can ask for it and it's his. Here's what it means. It means that if you're here today and you're married and you got kids, guess what? God owns your family. It's his. He owns your house, owns your car, owns your business, owns everything in your life. Because uh, Christianity, following Jesus, is not some compartmentalized decision. It's all his. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything. That means that, that, that Jesus owns my house and my family, and he owns uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon too. Right? He, he owns it all. But, but as a believer, as someone who's in the kingdom of God, there's so much certainty in that for me because I don't have to be as tight-fisted with the stuff that I own. Like, as I, I referenced my kids earlier, as a parent, listen, my responsibility is to su- disciple my kids, model for them what it looks like to follow Jesus, but ultimately, they're the Lord's kids. Right? And so... Because there's going to come a day, imagine this, imagine this. There's going to come a day where maybe at 20 years old or 22 years old or 24 years old, my son or daughter comes to me and says, hey, dad, I don't want to go to college. God's called me to the mission field. Well, no, baby, listen, you need a four-year degree. You don't have a four-year degree, you can't get a job. Can't get a job, you can't provide. Here's what happens. If we don't trust that our kids are actually the Lord's, then we'll train them to listen to our voice more than his. And that's dangerous. I have watched people, I have watched uh, teenagers and college students and young adults in my ministry over the last 20 years wrestle, wrestle with whether to listen to the voice of God or listen to the voice of mom and daddy. I have had tension before in my ministry because I've said, listen to the Lord more than your parents. Now listen, that's got, that calling has to line up with God's word. Trust me on that. You know, if I got a 15-year-old, it's like, God just called me to get a tattoo. I want to reach my friends. Don't, don't pull that, you know. But what I'm saying is it's, it's, you know, when you own a business, and the business is the Lord's, you don't stress as much when you go through struggling times. Right? When you, when you lead a church, you get to serve at a church like Awaken. Go through a season like COVID. Go six months without having services. Wonder if anybody's ever going to come back. The reminder is, hey, this is not your church, big boy. This is the Lord's church. And I, and I think we all need that reminder with whatever it is that we think we own in this life. There's a story in, in uh, I think it's Mark, one of the Gospels, where Jesus is on his way to the cross. And he's, he's going to Jerusalem. And he, and he gets to the outskirts of Jerusalem and he looks at his disciples, doesn't say exactly which ones, but I think it's Peter. Uh, and he says, hey, I want you to go into town. This is Jesus now. I want you to go into town. And when you go into town, you're going to see this colt tied up outside a house. Untie the colt and bring it to me because I need it. 
And this would be the equivalent of like Jesus saying, hey, I want you to... Um, I want you to go into Grand Oaks, take a right. First house you see, it's got a really nice like F-150. Yeah, just get that one and bring it to me. And the disciples are like, okay, well, what, what should we say? What should we say when the owners ask why we're stealing their colt? Jesus goes, well, just tell them the Lord needs it. Cool. So they go into town, go to this house. You know, they untie this colt, start walking away. Owner's like, hey, 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 that's my rod. That's... Don't take my truck, you know? And I just imagine Peter going, the Lord needs it and keeps on walking. And some of y'all are like, yep, I'm doing that tomorrow. Don't do that, okay? But here's the point. Jesus owned the colt. And he takes the colt to Jesus. Jesus mounts up on the colt and he rides back into town. And I can just imagine for the guy that owned the colt, he's going, here's King Jesus coming into town. And if there's a principle that I'd love to stick with you today, it's this. Some of us are holding on so tightly to our cult. And that cult may not be a car or a house. It may be a political party. It may be a certain conviction or belief. It may be some preference or opinion. We're holding on so tight. And if we don't let go of the cult and release it to the king, we may miss them altogether. And, And I just believe that Jesus is saying, look, what I have is so much better. I own it all anyway. Just acknowledge the fact that I'm over it. I'm in it and that I own it. And then lastly, this is the last thing. And this is the best news of all that when you acknowledge Jesus as your King, what you recognize is that he's got you. He has got you. And there is nothing that can happen this side of eternity to take you outside of the grip of his loving relationship with you. Romans eight thirty eight says this, that neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor rulers or principalities, that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is good news. It's good news. You know why? Because we are messed up people. We are messed up people, y'all. Outside of the grace of Jesus Christ, you know how jacked up I am? Some of y'all think you're so perfect. You're not. I'm not. I need salvation every day. I need forgiveness every day. You think I don't log on to Instagram or Facebook sometimes and go, God, what an idiot. They're in my church. (laughs) I think that. And then I go, Lord, I'm just as stupid. Forgive me. I mean, seriously, it goes through my head. It goes through my head. You think I don't lash out in anger sometimes at my kids, my wife, frustration, staff. I mean, how gracious to be in a community of people that are forgiving and loving in spite of my sin and our differences. Next week, I'll talk a little more about that. But, you know, I think about the fact that, that God's got us in relationship. And you can't change it. Like when you make a decision to follow Jesus, you don't walk away from that, right? Because God's called you into a relationship and he's going to sustain you in that relationship. There's, there's protection and provision in that. It reminds me of a story back when, uh, it was 2010, I got invited to go on a, a trip, a two-week trip to uh, Cairo, Egypt, and Israel. And, you know, I was, I was a young guy um, on this staff and it was mainly senior adults, about 50 of us. Uh, some of y'all remember Chris and Jessalyn, Lanier. They were on the trip as well. We got great stories uh, from that trip. But when we got there, we landed uh, at the airport, the Cairo airport. Um, I, we, we walked through the terminal. And again, this was, it's, I mean, it's a Muslim country, predominantly Muslim in the airport. I was a minority by all stretch of the imaginations. Security's walking around. They don't have like Glocks tucked in a, a holster in the back of their belt. If you've traveled overseas, you know what I'm talking about. They're AK-47s out front. 
right? If you have any questions about authority, it's like, mm-hmm, you're in charge, right? And so that's stock, just full of the airport. It's a very intimidating situation. We work our way through the airport. We get on the charter buses, and I'm relaxed. I'm like, whew, we made it. We're good, right? Like a 14-hour flight. And then I hear my pastor's voice, Dr. Don, Brandon, come to the front of the bus. I go to the front of the bus. Yes, sir. One of the ladies left a purse in the terminal. Would you mind going and retrieving it for her? Sure, I'd love to. I walk into a war zone. I, uh, I get off the bus and I walk back in the airport there in Cairo. And y'all, I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death. Um, this was, you know, again, 10 years ago, height of tensions, really in between countries. And uh, so I'm walking in and I make my way all the way back through security to the terminal, find the lady's purse. She left on a chair. I'm thinking all kinds of nice thoughts about her along the way, by the way. And uh, I grab her purse and I'm making my way back out of the airport. And so just imagine, here I am, this young American guy. I got a bag that does not belong to me. I'm by myself, and I have two security officers that stop me. They don't speak English. I don't speak Aramaic. So we, we, we've got a, a real problem here. And so they stop me, come over, you know, try to question me. I don't know what they're saying. They don't know what I'm saying. You know, they're getting frustrated. I'm frustrated. I want to run. Can't run. They got guns. I mean, it was tense. And, and we're sitting here in this interaction and y'all, I'm scared because I'm like, I'm, I'm married, right? I got two kids. I'm nervous about what's about to happen to me. And out of nowhere, I hear this voice, this voice that's like yelling over the noise of the terminal noise. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And I look up and we had this guide that was leading our trip. His name's Saliba. Saliba was a native to the country. And so in the native Aramaic, he's yelling out, who am I? Which means he's with me. He's with me. He's with me. So imagine I'm, I'm here with security and I got Saliba going, don't mess with him. That's one of mine. He's with me. Can I just remind us today that if you have stepped into the kingdom and you acknowledge Jesus is king, it is a great reassurance that Jesus looks at your life and says, he's with me. She's with me. He's with me, both now and in eternity. And there is nothing you can do to get away from it. Listen, my encouragement today to you is this. No matter what you walk in here today, thinking about Jesus or his kingdom, I want you to remember today as you leave that as king, he's over you, he owns you, and he's got you. He's got you. He looks at a, a thief on the cross at the very end of John. Jesus nailed to the center of the cross, has two thieves on either side. Which, by the way, I believe these two thieves represent us. One's mocking him. One's making fun of him. Hey, if you really are the Messiah, if you really are the, the Savior, then save yourself. Pull yourself down off the cross. Now, we know because of the gospel, Jesus had to die. Jesus uh, chose to die for our sins. Because if Jesus didn't die on the cross, then we would all be paying the price for our sins. Jesus is breathing his last breath on the cross. One thief is mocking him, save yourself. The other one says, hey, Jesus, today, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. This thief who is looking death in the face looks at Jesus and says, hey, today, when you step into your kingdom, which by the way, he's acknowledging him as king, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus looks back at this thief and y'all know what he says. He says, hey, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
Today, I, I got you. I got you. Listen, that's what salvation is. That's what a relationship with God is. I got you. You're covered. I'm going to take care of you because I'm your king. That's the authority that we get to love, serve, and worship. Amen? Would you close your eyes real quick? I want to ask you a question. Maybe you've stepped in here today and you've been taught your whole life that Jesus is a friend, that he's your buddy, that he's your homeboy, that he's a good teacher, he was a peacemaker. And maybe today there's just been this recalibration and acknowledgement that Jesus is king and Jesus is in control of everything and he's an authority to be acknowledged and to be worshiped. Maybe today you just need to surrender your life to that King Jesus, to trust that he died on the cross for your sins, to trust that though he was placed in a tomb for three days, he rose again on the third day. And because he rose to life and is now seated at the right hand of God, you can have life too. That the death that you deserve, that penalty has already been paid by him. And that he's given you a life because of the gift of grace called salvation today. If that's you and you want to pray to give your life to Jesus today, just repeat this after me. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day. And today I trust in Jesus. I surrender my life to King Jesus. So God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.